really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. So I'm on Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So it's been another very busy week. So with all the admin sort of out of the way, let's get the show rolling. So current updates. Well, my son, he had his second ever baseball game on Saturday morning. And it was just so great. So, you know, he, he turned six just about a month and a half ago. So as I said before, he skipped T-ball and went right to what they call coach pitch, which it turns out actually means pitching machine pitch. And <laughs> by the way, he actually thought his coach's name was Coach Pitch. And I'm, I'm seriously considering calling him that from now on. Anyway, off of the machine, the ball comes out much faster than, you know, any pitching my partner and I have done for him. So last week, all the kids really struggled with that. But this week, I swear... There was significant improvement right across the board. The hits finally started coming. My wee one, who I'm officially nicknaming Thunderbat, he got two at-bats and got two singles, the second of which was right off the very first pitch, and he beat out the throw. Well, you can't see me doing air quotes right now around the word throw to first both, both of those times. You know, because he's at the sort of bottom end of the age spectrum for this level, he's probably the second smallest kid out there, which is very odd because he's one of the bigger kids in his kindergarten class, but... You know, it's, it, that just makes it all the more gratifying to see him doing well. And, you know, my heart was overflowing, naturally. At his last practice, Coach Pitch took me aside and said, he's a natural athlete. He, he's awesome at hitting and awesome at throwing. He just needs to transition from the underhand catching to proper catching. And, you know, even if that was just total BS and just blowing smoke, I don't care because it made me hugely proud. I was never a, a sporty kid myself, and I would never pressure him to becoming one. But just knowing, you know, that he's discovering something he really likes and that he has an aptitude for, it's it's wonderful to behold. God, I love that kid. I'm also strongly considering creating a comic book series called Coach Pitch and Thunderbat. So watch this space, my friends. Yes, Isa, it is good news. Uh, Scotland have announced a summer fixture against Chile. As found on the official website, quote, Scotland A will play a competitive fixture this June when they take on Chile in the first match of the 2022 Summer Tour ahead of the three-test series in Argentina. The match will take place on Saturday, the 25th of June, kickoff at 9 p.m. UK time in the capital city, uh, Santiago at the Estadio Santa Laura Universidad S.E.K., home of Union Española FC. Uh, broadcast details are still to be confirmed for a game that will see Chile and Scotland play each other for the very first time. Chile will use this match as preparation for their Rugby World Cup playoffs against the United States after beating Canada in last year's America's qualifying match. And this will be the first time Chile have played a Six Nations team in more than 60 years. Scotland head coach Gregor Townsend said, quote, Scotland A will play the first match of our summer tour against Chile, which will be a new challenge against a rugby nation on the rise, one that is on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup. Similar to the Tonga match last autumn at BT Murrayfield, we will look to use a blend of youth and experience to start off the tour on a positive note. With the World Cup right around the corner, 
The four matches this summer will allow our players the chance to gain more game time and experience on the international stage, double unquote. I have no idea, obviously, yet if this match is going to be available to stream, but believe me, as soon as I know, you will know. So moving on to the thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are actually about this very podcast. So I've been listening to the feedback I've been getting, and I have decided to make a couple of sort of big changes. One is simply the order in which I review the weekend's action, and I'll explain that in the segment uh, to come very shortly. The other is the content of the reviews themselves. So I've been told, and I I have to say I I have to agree, um, I do way too much sort of play-by-play stuff, which takes a lot of time and frankly just isn't that helpful. Like, so if you haven't seen the match, you probably wouldn't listen for fear of spoiling the results. And if you have seen it, you already know how things unfolded. So it's just kind of wasted breath on my part. And wasted time on your part, I guess. So instead, I plan to talk a little bit more about the sort of overall feel of the games, side notes, interesting facts or stats. Uh, but I also simply aim to make it a lot quicker and more succinct. As I mentioned, the first, once again, doing the air quotes here, compliment I ever got was that someone liked the fact that the pod was pretty short. And those early eps were generally, you know, 20 minutes to a half hour, maybe 35 minutes. Last week was almost a full hour. And that's just that's just too much, unless I have a special guest on. So last, I plan to lump all those sort of league table and standings updates together after the reviews and with the previews. I think that'll feel a lot more streamlined. Anyway, so thanks to everyone who's been providing me with this feedback. I hope you all enjoy the updated format. I think it's going to be great. That does bring us to our reviews. And okay, as I mentioned, this week, we're trying something new, as I just mentioned. So rather than do the recaps competition by competition, I'm simply going to go in chronological order of how they actually unfolded and how I watched them. Uh, it's an idea that's been suggested to me a few times. And, you know, when you all talk, I listen. So there's going to be one match per week that I spend a little more time on, while all the other recaps will be far more succinct. This week, that match, of course, is going to be the opener of the, uh, the Heineken Cup quarterfinals because it was an all-time doozy. However, of course, that means this week we kick things off down in the Southern Hemisphere with Super Rugby Pacific. On Friday the 6th, we had the Blues. They were at home to take on the perpetually underwhelming Rebels. And just as I'd feared, it was an absolute skunking from top to bottom. If I told you the final score was 47-14, to 14, I'm sure you'd agree that was a massive beatdown. But guess what? That was the halftime score. That's the halftime score, my friend. So the Blues would take it easy on a little bit in the second half, only dropping 34 more points on them for an outrageous, get this, 71 to 28 total at the end. 99 points in one match in a game not between the All Blacks and my Eagles? Unreal! So then, of course, my Highlanders, they had an away game in Queensland to face the Reds. Reds, they went all out for the pre-show. Fireworks, explosions, and smoke. Their adorable little koala mascot doing weird sort of exorcist-style head-spinning stuff. Just the whole nine yards. It was awesome. By the way, a year or two ago, not that long ago, the comms were actively questioning whether, you know, Tiger King McDermott should even be playing for the Reds. And now he's starting and has assumed the captaincy. Really great stuff for a guy who looks, I don't know, like an extra from the movie Roadhouse. Somebody! These drunk redneck truckers are trying to have their way with me! Not while my scrotum is pressed up against my stomach in these jeans, they won't. Roadhouse. 
So one of my new favorites, Fakataba, he had an amazing game for my Highlanders, setting up a try, then getting one of his own. He just looked totally in control out there almost as soon as he came on. So with him at the helm, my boys, they climbed back in. They got themselves a lead, which they would hold on to right until the end. The Reds, they knocked it on after the clock was dead. And I was very happily shocked to see the 19-27 to final score, a truly great and really needed win for my boys. That is for sure. Next up was, of course, the European competitions, starting with what I'm calling the Milwaukee's Best Cup. Uh, if you can think of a crappier beer, you know, please let me know. So we began with a rather predictable Friday fixture with Gloucester somehow getting a home game against the rebuilt Death Star that is the Saracens. And, you know, it was basically like using a sandblaster on a saltine cracker. Uh, the aptly named Vincent Cock, he was everywhere for Saris, and Jim, my whole brand is being a dimwit Hamilton, kept rhapsodizing on and on about Maro Atoje's talent for getting away with cheating, basically. So, you know, it felt really good to be finally back all the way around to completely hating them. I've really missed it. Uh, it was 8-37 to entering the final quarter, and by the end, it was 15-44. to Saracens, they looked poised to dominate the rest of the way, in my mind at least. On Saturday... We started the day with more Super Rugby. It was Mo Moana Pacifica versus the Waratahs. The nominal home side came out very strong, taking a 17-0 lead, but naturally, the Taz, they methodically clawed back. It was close early in the second half. Perhaps most significantly, Christian Leofano went over 1,000 points for his incredible career, making him, according to the comms, the first Pacific Islander to achieve that mark. What a player. More on him later. So, before the game, the Wartaz coach had said his game plan was to try to wear the other side down and sort of take advantage of that fitness difference later in the match, and that is exactly how it unfolded. He, he, he nailed it. The Taz, they finally took the lead three-quarters of the way through, held on from there. Pretty impressive clinical display by them. 20-26 to 26 was the final score in this one. Next up was, of course, Chiefs at home for the Brumbies with the KFC bucket helmet hat thingies in full effect. That always tickles me big time. I just love that. There's something just, you know you're in New Zealand when you see somebody wearing a KFC bucket hat. <laughs> so it's really refreshing. Brumbies, they are clearly not scared by the Kiwi teams this year at all. There's a real edge to the way they're playing. They seem to be, they just sort of seem to be doing all those little things and even tonight, you know, in a tight match overall, it was them who looked poised to, to take it. They held, they held a four-point lead going into the break. They just kept building and building the rest of the way. Tom, don't call me Tony Banks, had a particularly strong game. But even with a try very late for the Chiefs, the Brumbies, they were just too good, taking the game 28-38 to and denying the Chiefs a losing bonus point right there at the end. Quote, Yes, they are title contenders, unquote, opined the uh, the comms as the players were shaking hands. I, I would love that. I love that very idea. But, you know, I'm still picking the blues. Meanwhile, still in New Zealand, Crusaders looked to exact revenge for last week's shocking loss on a, fu on a, a uh, fun but struggling Western force. That's exactly what they did, scoring a, uh, you know, a rub of your nose in it try just after 80 minutes to make it 15 to 53 at the end of the night. They look back to their old ways for sure. And then, my friends, it was time to fly back to Europe. In this case, all the way to the goddamn health stadium, where a friend of the pod, Craig Manson, could be found cheering on his Edinburgh side against an unpredictable Wasps team. It was a back-and-forth affair the whole way, but, you know, Wasps, they took the lead with only a few minutes remaining. Edinburgh, driving for a last-minute win, got, I'm going to say it, pretty shafted by the rift. 
<laughs> and uh, they saw it all slip away. Disbelief was writ large all over every face, every player. Just a stomach punch of an ending. So I know, I know. It's out of order to blame a ref for a result. They did have many other opportunities to put it away before that point. But still, this one just seems sort of too big and too obvious to ignore. Just, uh, quote, absolutely awful, unquote, <laughs> to quote Craig himself. Okay, my friends, this week, this was the big one, at least for my pod, and at least for me. So next up, we took a step up to the Heineken Cup with Munster at home facing Toulouse. Uh, I was properly geeked up for this one. By the way, the Aviva was absolutely jumping. The sea of red, as they described it, was a sight to behold. What an atmosphere. Looked like a gorgeous day as well, kind of in a bit of a surprise. In case you missed it, Munster, they weren't able to play this one at their actual home because... An Ed Sheeran concert previously scheduled was previously scheduled and they couldn't get out of it. And I understand that even if they beat Toulouse tonight, they won't be able to play at home next week either because of the condition they expect the pitch to be in as a result of said concert. I don't know why I find this so funny, but I do. In any event, right at the start, I was gratified to see that Peter Mahoney, he resisted the urge to cheap shot the trophy as he passed by it. But unfortunately, that meant he couldn't wait more than 70 seconds before grabbing and tackling somebody by the neck. Oddly, after that, the comms said, he is the club's conscience in every way. So there's that. Anyway, the, the Toulouse scrum was a massive weapon for the visiting side. They weren't looking particularly tired to me, despite the claims of the comms at that point. And in fact, if they were a bit winded, they used the time it takes to set up these scrums and these scrum resets to just get a few extra breaths, recharge the batteries a little bit. It was a little bit of a double whammy for the home team. By the time the intermission, uh, Intermission arrived. Things were level at 14. In the second half, Simon Zebo he got utterly blasted in a dangerous tackle. To lose, they found themselves down a man with a yellow card, and this after Munster had already added another try. And in my notes, I wrote, end of the line for the reigning champs? Question mark, question mark, question mark. With under 10 minutes remaining, Munster, they committed a dumb penalty, even as Luke Pierce was literally screaming at them to stop doing what they were doing. Toulouse, they took full advantage. By the way, Toulouse were at this point playing with two scrum halves on the field at the same time. Antoine Dupont, he was back and forth between sort of resourcing and protecting the ruck. Is there, is there any player like him in the world right now? Anyway, tied with under a minute to go, I realized I didn't know what the extra time rules were for this competition, but I had a feeling I was about to find out. Tied at 24 with the clock on red, I then learned that they play a 10-minute overtime period, but I never even discovered whether or not it was going to be sudden death because they played those 10 minutes with no scoring, then played another 10 minutes with no scoring. That sent us to a place-kicking competition. I swear, it seemed like nobody in the entire arena knew how that was supposed to work. Even the comms said, quote, and this place-kicking competition, long pause, is going to take a bit of deciphering, unquote. <laughs> that was classic. Anyway, once someone located and sort of blew the dust and cobwebs off of the, you know, the parchment scroll with the official rules etched therein, we learned that each team would nominate three kickers, all of whom had to be on the field at the moment the time had expired, and they would trade off chances at goal from preset points on the pitch. Looking at the match report, by the way, afterwards, I think of all the people on the park, I think the Munster camp, Somebody on their side must have known about this because they subbed out Simon Zebo at the 96-minute mark to bring back Connor Murray. 
ostensibly, you know, for this very reason. But in a bitter twist, it was Murray himself, as well as the undoubtedly forlorn Ben Healy, who would miss kicks for their home team. Pretty sure that made four consecutive whiffs for Healy on the night. He must be deep in the doldrums today. Toulouse, against incredible odds, would again show their resiliency and resourcefulness to secure a quarterfinal win. The score still listed as 24-all in the books. Are you even kidding me with this start this weekend? So, my friends, next up, it was Ragnarok between the Prem and the URC, with unstoppable force Leicester Tigers facing immovable object Leinster. What a clash this promised to be. As you all know, I listen to way too many other rugby podcasts, and on one of the, the Irish pods I listened to, they had already, you know, they had the Tigers dead and buried long before this one began, and I was not so sure. However, once again, it looked like the experts, rather than I, knew what they were talking about. Uh, Leinster completely dominated the first half. Uh, they blanked the Tigers entirely at home for the first time in, uh, ended up writing down, a long time. Uh, they did tell us what that actual number of years was, but I forgot it, and I didn't take the time to rewind. Anyway. Leicester, they scored quickly in the second half, but then they just kind of sputtered out. Leinster's defense was insurmountable on the day. Every time they had a promising drive, they'd knock it on or make a silly mistake. Oh, and that smell in the air, my friends, that smell was inevitability. Tigers, they added a cosmetic try right in the dying moments, but all in all, they were thoroughly beaten. 14-23 to was the final score. What an amazing pair of games to start us off with. God, I love this tournament. Sticking with the same tournament, we had two more knockout fixtures. The first, an all-French affair, with La Rochelle at home to take on Montpellier and Uma Parole. The weekend had already delivered big time. What on earth was this one going to bring us? So while the Viva had been a sea of red, La Rochelle, it was a sea of yellow. I was given to understand that they would be favorites despite having lost both contests against Montpellier this year in the top 14. As I'd hoped, it was a close one, with the home team leading the whole way through three quarters, but... Visitors right there nipping at their heels, only three points the difference. That was when, <laughs> that was when La Rochelle, they stomped on the gas and the metaphorical throats of Montpellier at the same time, extending their advantage to 12, then stamping their own ticket to the semifinals next weekend, 31 to 19 in the end. And then the final fixture on the calendar before I hopped into my trusty chariot to go see my beloved Free Jacks in their first night game at home this year was friend of the pod John Anderson's Glasgow Warriors on the road what for what felt like the, I don't know, 24th week in a row in a, uh, in a game to face Lyon. So as it unfolded, both sides showed a lot of ill discipline. It wasn't a particularly fun game to watch, at least through the first half. So Cole Forbes, a name that hasn't been uttered in this very space uh, previously, he scored a weird-looking try right at the very end of the first period, giving Glasgow a 13 to 20 lead heading into the intermission and giving the, giving the comms a chance to shout some razzle dazzle from the warriors, which is again, a phrase with which I am unfamiliar. And then a huge turn of events right around the 50 minute mark Glasgow. They got a penalty try and the accompanying yellow for a Leon player. And suddenly they had a 14 point lead and a man advantage on top of which Leon's Starting scrum half was already off for an HIA, and by this point, it looked like he wasn't coming back. And now, the yellow card went to their starting 10. So, you know, the plot was thickening big time for the home team. Of course, in my experience, this would be a perfect spot for Glasgow to start screwing things up. So the margin was down to 7, entering the final quarter, and I wrote, How will the wheels come off this time? The answer turned out to be another name previously ununtered on this podcast, and it was 
Niniashvili, the 19-year-old Georgian who dropped a brace on Glasgow to make the score 35-27 to in the dying moments in today's edition of Deja Vu. Lyon, they scored 22 unanswered points in the second half. And it was a second-half collapse we've gotten very used to for Glasgow, quite frankly. Uh, any more of this, then they might be forced to move to Wales. Just yuck. And then, of course, my friends, it was time to hit Fort Quincy for a match something like 95% of people thought was going to just be an absolute breeze for us, with my New England Free Jacks facing an old-glory DC side that I believe are deceptively good, mostly based on the opinions of MLR stats guru James Dealey, who, by the way, flew down from Toronto to see this match in person. We were able to meet in person for the first time prior to this match, and as always, it was just such a, a great atmosphere at Fort Quincy. Also, my best friend, Amy, she was my guest for the game. It was her first ever in-person rugby game, which is so special. Everything about the night was special. They <laughs> they even managed to rope her into the sort of goofy halftime contest they had, which made me think, oh, she's never, never, never coming back. But no, it, it, it's Amy. She was a great sport about the whole thing. It was awesome. It, she and I are already talking about the next time she can come. Really fun stuff. As for the game itself, it was as freezing as it was close, but... The Free Jacks would again prevail at the end with the magnificent Slade McDowell dotting down the try that would put it way out of reach. The crowd and the atmosphere were again incredible. We're still unbeaten this season in the confines of Fort Quincy, and I have now officially qualified for the, uh, uh, we have officially qualified for the playoffs with four games to go. 26 to 20 was the final tally. I honestly don't know, you know, if our habit of winning close games makes me super confident or super worried, but I think I'm leaning towards the latter you know dc they, they haven't been a great team this year uh they were without i'm pretty sure three of their starters and we even had a man advantage right you know in the first few minutes so you know while we're very very good i see lots of warning signs as we approach this postseason so maybe let's tap the brakes on the old hyperbole wagon and then late saturday night at least according to my time the hurricanes they squared off against the fijian drula <sighs> Super Rugby this week, they ended this round with a massive, massive blowout. Hurricanes just laying the smack down from minute one to minute 80, just complete dominance. When the final whistle in New Zealand sounded for this weekend, it thankfully finished off a 67-5 to route. It's hard to know what to expect from either of these teams from week to week, I swear. So again, according to my clock, it was a 7.30 a.m. kickoff on Sunday morning for the final match of the Midnight Dragon Malt Liquor Cup for the weekend with... Too if you haven't had Midnight Dragon malt liquor, what are you even doing with your life? Anyway, it was Toulon uh, hosting London Irish. It was difficult to, for me to you know feel excited about this when leading up to it, I have to admit. However, it at least provided a dramatic ending with a try in the 73rd minute for a player the official website simply described as a teenager. <laughs> His name was uh, Harry Arundel, uh, Henry Arundel. Sorry about that. But Patty, my teammates love me, Jackson missed the conversion that would have retaken the lead for the visitors. They'd go down to lose by a single point, 19-18 to 18 by the very end. And then finally, Sunday. And the weekend in Europe ended with Racing and Paris to take on... Oh God, tell me it's, it's anyone but Sale. Anyone but Sale. Anyone but Sale. Yeah, yeah, it was Sale. I swear, it feels like they play twice as many games as every other team. It's, it's almost eerie at this stage. In any event, I was bowled over to see A.J. McGinty starting for the Sharks. I, I I really thought he was going to be out for several more weeks, so that 
No, that absolutely warmed my heart. Please, all gods who are listening, let the man stay healthy. Also, I had also forgotten about the absurdly oversized screen at Racing that basically takes up an entire quarter of the stadium. Please, nobody tell Jerry Jones that those things are an option. Uh, oh, and the last thing I'd forgotten, yeah, unlikely, but I'm saying it. Uh, <laughs> I'd also forgotten that they they had that weird-looking pitch. It kind of looks like somebody sort of just draped a velvet blanket over a like a, a cooling rack. It's very strange. Anyway, this one was a low-scoring affair in the first half, with the first try being scored right as the clock went red. Sale, they took themselves a 6-10 lead into the locker room. Very surprised by that, I got to say. So I don't know, obviously, what the coach said to the wrestling players during the break, but whatever it was, it worked. They came out, they grabbed 17 points in less than 15 minutes in the, in the second half. What a turnaround. Finn Russell, oh, my man. He had an amazing, uh, I'm going to call it a fine, I'll do it myself try. Uh, I'm going to link that highlight in the show notes. It was a thing of sublime beauty, much like the man himself. So by the time we passed the 70-minute mark, they had doubled up their guests to the tune of 34 to 17. And right at the end, they made an amazing length of field breakaway try to put the Sharks to rest for good. The final score was 41 to 22. What a weekend for the Heineken Cup. You know, I know this tournament was even more wackadoodle than usual this year, but it, it just doesn't get much better than these four games. With the promise of more drama next weekend, unbelievable stuff. Just awesome. So to wrap up the rest of the MLR for the weekend, Utah, they were at home for a streaking Atlanta team late Saturday night, at least my time. This one, it felt like it came out of nowhere. Utah smashing my Free Jacks next opponent, 44 to 26. And of course, that means Atlanta, they're going to be absolutely set on getting it right on Friday. It looks like a really tough one for us at, at home this coming Friday for sure. Friday the 13th, what could possibly go wrong? For whatever reason, all the other fixtures were scheduled for Sunday. Uh, starting with the Hoboken Express pulling into Canada to face Toronto, New Jersey, they absolutely flattened the arrows 17 to 41 by the time the clock mercifully hit 80 minutes. Uh, Champions LA, they were back at home at the Coliseum for another Guild Derby facing league scoring leaders Austin, and in a very surprising result. I mean, never would I have picked this, and if you say you did, I don't believe you. LA would win 10 to 8 in a defensive battle. So next up was San Diego. They were welcoming Houston to the sports deck, and the Thundercats, they were up for it, taking down the Legion, 24-34. Very interesting result for that one. And finally, whew, Seattle, they were home to face the toothless Dallas Jackals. This has to be the highest scoring match of the year. The Seawolves utterly demolishing this Dallas team. No, you didn't see that wrong. It actually was 74-7 to all told. Holy crap! Okay, my friends, that music tells you, of course, it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, there were a few options, but really only one clear choice to me. And that, of course, is Christian Leal Ifano. If you're unfamiliar with the man's work, I mean, clearly you haven't been watching rugby. Mr. Leal Ifano, not only did you pull, almost pull out a massive upset for your team, not only did you become the first Pacific Islander to reach a thousand points in your career, you did so after... <clears throat> surviving leukemia and needing a bone marrow transplant only six years ago. On top of that, because the organizers knew this milestone was, was nigh, they had your little son on hand 
to bring you the ball when you slotted those historic points. I obviously tweeted a, a lovely photo of you giving him a little kiss just prior to the big moment. My friends, this was the very quintessence of what I love about this game. I can't think of any more deserving recipient of my illustrious award than yourself. Let us not forget 2012, when out of the 10 Super Rugby matches you played, you won player of the match eight times. Good sir, it makes me proud to have the privilege of awarding you the obviously most sought after accolade in the entire world of rugby. I hope you responsibly enjoy all the, the boons and benefits that follow for Christian Leal Ifano, my friend. You are the lucky winner of this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. Congratulations and well done, sir. So in our updated format, we're going to look at updates and previews in the same segment. So in the Heineken Cup, we only have four teams remaining, of course, three of which are French. The lone team standing from either the Prem or the URC is Leinster, and they get a home game against the reigning champs, Toulouse. I can't even fathom how good that one's going to be. Oh, my gosh. Racing 92, they'll be in their sort of French version of the Dallas Cowboys Stadium to host La Rochelle who will have a big mountain to climb for that one. I don't see that going well. Anyway, in the Colt 45 Cup, Lyon, they earn themselves a home semifinal against Wasps. And as usual, I, I have the foggiest idea what to expect of that one. Toulon, they're also at home, probably facing their doom, quite frankly, in the form of Saracens, whose sinister reincarnation is clearly complete. Then, the Super Rugby uh, Pacific. So after round 11, Super Rugby Pacific has two top teams and many contenders. Blues are on the very top with Brumbies entertaining the same number of wins, 10, but two fewer league points. Uh, Crusaders have eight wins, while Chiefs, Waratahs, and Reds all have seven. Hurricanes have six, but then things really fall off a cliff with Highlanders, Rebels, the Force, the Drua, and Moana Pacifica on three, three, two, one, and one points. Not, not, not good. Anyway, Friday. My Highlanders, they start the week home against the Force, followed by an absolute cracker with the Brumbies facing the Crusaders. Man, oh man, that's going to be good. Then the two expansion teams play each other, you know, really looking forward to that one as well, though neither team will actually be, you know, at home per se. Then it's the color clash with Blues taking on the Reds. And then, of course, it's Wartas facing off against the Hurricanes. And finally, Rebels will welcome the Chiefs back to Melbourne. And then, at home in Major League Rugby, oh, guys, my, my Free Jacks, they're still atop of the table, still on their historic win streak with 52 league points. New Jersey and Atlanta are right behind us with 42 and 41, followed by Toronto, NOLA, and D.C. to round out the East. Over in the West, Austin, they're still on top with 48 points, despite losing to the number two team, L.A., who are on 42. Seattle and Houston are knotted at 36. San Diego still somehow right behind them at 33. Utah and Dallas finish out the bottom two spots. This weekend, of course, we'll kick off, oh my gosh, guys, the Friday the 13th clash with Rugby ATL accompanied by a beer fest beforehand and fireworks afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess you twisted my arm. I guess, I guess I'll go. I can do that. I guess I'll go. On Saturday, it'll be Toronto at home for Dallas. Uh, Houston will be in Texas to face Utah, and NOLA will be welcoming D.C. Sunday holds New Jersey versus Seattle. And finally, the Southern California Bowl with San Diego hosting L.A. 
Should be another great weekend in MLR. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out and for your recent suggestions. It's always great to hear from you. So I hope keeping things quicker and tighter this week was a good idea. Thanks for checking out the new format. I'm very happy with it. Uh, as always, if you would like to get in touch, you can use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always email me via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, you know what? That would really help grow the show, and I would really appreciate it. If you like what we're doing here, there also is a way that you can show your support in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, all of you, again, for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And as always, be well.